Well, good morning. Um, tomorrow I'm going to have a three-year-old. I think that's, is that the age where they're no longer toddlers? Are two-year-olds toddlers? And then I'll just have like a little human at three? Two little humans starting tomorrow. So, uh, but uh, Emma turns three tomorrow. So she won't be a toddler anymore. So, um, I want to start by saying we got a uh, an invitation in the mail yesterday. Day before yesterday, I forget now. Uh, but it was for a wedding, a wedding of a I guess a family friend. And uh, we had known about it. We had the save the date on our refrigerator. And uh, well, I got home and I and I I got the envelope that just said the Mitchells on it. And so I opened it up and inside was was the invitation and, and a card for the four of us. And we had to check how many were coming and and I guess a, a car a envelope to put it in to send back and, and let them know. And uh, I am grateful to have Kate to send that back because I never do. I, when, I, when, I was in, when I was younger, when I was in my 20s, that's when all my friends got married, in my mid-20s. And they would send me the invitations, and I would never return them. And it would always be the bride, the, the, the woman that was getting married, she would call me and say, are you coming to the wedding? And I would say, yeah, I'm coming to the wedding. I, I want the chicken, right? Or what, I would just say, you don't, have, you don't need that little card back. Just trust me, I'm, I'm coming. Uh, and this is what I want. And then they said, no, 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 we, we need that card to make sure that you're coming so that we know what, how much food to order and this and that. And I said, I'm in the wedding. I'm going to be there. I got the, the tux and everything. I'm ready to go. But they had to have that card back. And I would, I would never send it. Um, and then I, when I, it reminded me when I saw that card in the mail uh, this week that, oh, yeah, we got to do that again. Uh, but that got me thinking about Jill. You know, Jill's getting married in August, and she sends out those cards, and it made me think about if somebody returned that card, somebody that she loved returned that card, saying, yes, I, I will be there, um, I want the steak, and Jill went to the time of making sure that that person was going to have food prepared for them. She went through the, the trouble of making sure that they fit into the seating chart, right, that that, that person wasn't sitting next to Aunt Ruby that was going to ask about, you know, his nose ring, or whatever it was. She made sure that there was a spot specifically at the wedding, there's food prepared for that person. And then the day of the wedding comes, and that person calls up and says, uh, Jill, I can't make it, I, I gotta cut the grass today. We would all know that that person didn't really need to cut the grass. He just didn't want to be there in the first place, right? And it reminded me of a parable that Jesus tells us at a dinner party. And he gives some insight into how he feels about people standing him up. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, and we're going to start in verse 15. And when you found that, if you're physically able, I would ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. Luke 14 starting in verse 15. We'll go down to verse 24. The Word of God says, Now when one of those who sat at the table with, with him, meaning Jesus, heard these things, he said to him, 
Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he, meaning Jesus, said to that man, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I must go see it. I ask you would excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am unable, and I'm going to test them. I ask you excuse me. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper. Let's pray. Lord, again, we are grateful for the opportunity to be in your house. Lord, we, uh, we just ask that you would be with us today. Allow us to, to hear your words. I pray that these, these words are yours and not mine. I pray that you will speak to our hearts and, and make an impression on them, Lord. Speak to us today as your servants are listening. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Even if you're not familiar uh, with this parable, you know when this parable happened. You know when this parable was told. Because Jesus was at a dinner party. It was being hosted by uh, a Pharisee. And you'll remember that they had invited a man with dropsy. uh, Just to see if Jesus would heal him because it was on the Sabbath day. Uh, and that way they'd be able to point a finger at Jesus saying, see, he did work on the Sabbath. He's, he's not who he claims to be. But Jesus understood what they were doing. And he says to them, something you all, will, I'm sure, remember. He says, which of you have a son or an ox fall into a well and not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath? He, he was calling them out on, on the trick that they tried to play on him. They didn't invite that man with dropsy there because he was a... Uh, a relative, or he's well off, or they, they invited him specifically as a pawn to see if Jesus would do something about it. And then, um, while sitting amongst all these Pharisees, who were most likely well off, uh, high ranking people, he says to them, Don't invite rich people to your dinner parties because they can afford to repay you. He says, if, if you want to be a blessing, he said, invite people that can't pay you back because then you'll truly be blessed. And that's what Jesus did, right? He invited you and I. We're, we're the poor. We're the crippled ones in sin to eat at his table. And we don't look, or we don't have the ability, or we don't have the means to repay him for what he did for us. So, Luke finishes this chapter off uh, with several things that Jesus said to his disciples that, that you'll remember. He said, uh, this is the same chapter, if you do not hate your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, even your children, uh, even your own life, 
then you cannot be my disciple. It's also the, the chapter where he says, who would start building a tower without counting up how much it was going to cost them to build it? Or how much it was going to cost to complete it? Lest you build half the tower and then you don't have enough money to complete the tower and then everybody laughs at you. Or he says, you know, what king would go into battle without first knowing how many men he's got to go in and fight? Well, sandwiched in between those is the parable that we have just read. In verse 15, this man at the supper, after Jesus has made things thoroughly awkward by what he has said to uh, the host, one of the guests of the dinner party says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And that's true. Anybody that's in the kingdom of God, eating at God's table, is truly blessed. The problem is, he assumed that he would be one of those people at God's table. And that's something that happens to a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. Right? People, there are a lot of people that are going to be very surprised uh, when they die. They're not sitting at the Lord's table. A lot of people think that just because they're a good person, they'll end up in heaven. Or what I used to believe was because my family celebrates Christmas, well, that makes me a Christian, so that means I'm going to heaven. I thought it was really almost like a, well, you're, you're a Kentuckian, and I'm a, a Virginian, and, and you're from Maryland. I thought that's how it worked. If you were in a family that, that celebrated Christmas, that made you a Christian, just being born into it. Um, some people believe that everybody goes to heaven because there is no hell. Or, I was baptized, so I must be going to heaven. Or, I was confirmed. So Jesus tells his parable and, and in part addresses some of these issues that we see today. So here's the breakdown of the parable. Presumably, this wealthy man invited a lot of people to a dinner party. And in those times, what would happen was they, they didn't have refrigeration, they didn't have ways to keep the meat fresh, and they didn't have ovens where you could set the temperature exactly how you want it. So what they would do is they would send out invitations for a certain day. They would say, listen, uh, on, fr on Friday, three weeks from now, we're going to have a meal. And we want to know if you'll be there. So people would say, yes, I will come. I I'm accepting the invitation. I will be at the dinner. But they didn't know a time. So what would happen is the master would send out uh, one of his services once the food was ready and said, okay, dinner's ready. You can come on now. And that's what happened here. And for the parable, we can assume that these three men that the uh, servant goes to talk to had agreed to come to the dinner. They had actually returned their RSVP cards. And when the day of the feast comes and the food is ready, the master sends out his servant to go get them, but then they, they start making excuses. Now none of them want to come. And they make excuses as to why. So the servant has to go back to his boss and say, listen, none of them want to come anymore. And the master gets angry about it. And he says, well, that's their loss. I want you to go out and find some people that want to eat. And the servant goes out and starts bringing in people that are poor and that are blind and that are crippled. And the servant says, to, says hey, master, I, I did what you said. And I got a lot of people, but there's still a lot of plates left. We, we, we still got 
room at the table for more. So the master says, well, go out and start beating the bushes. Right? Go, go down the country roads. Go find people outside of our town and bring them in. And then Jesus ends the parable with the master saying something that, that, that sounds ominous to my ears. He says, get as many people as you can because those men who were invited shall not taste my dinner. What I love about the parables, what, what Jesus' parables, is that they're timeless. Right? It doesn't, it, 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 they, they cover everybody. It doesn't matter what generation you're living in. It doesn't matter how old you are, your, your gender, your, your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter. His parables speak to you uh, regardless of any of that. They, they reach everybody. And um, they're always applicable. Always. No matter what year you lived in. If you lived in the year two, Jesus' parables meant something. And they mean something to us today. So what does this parable say to us? What, what, what can we extrapolate from this parable today? Well, in verse 16, he says, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. Jesus' parables, the people that are in the parables often represent segments of the population. Whether it's the lost, whether it's the saved, whether it was the Pharisees, whether it's God himself. Well, who was this certain man be? Who was the master in this parable? It would have been God. It would have been God that was sending out this invitation. Right? And many times throughout Scripture, we see this image of God's kingdom of heaven as being a dinner table. Right? It creates this picture of intimacy. Um, you know, we, we've talked about King David and, and when he brought in uh, Jonathan's son Mephibosheth out of Lodabar. He said, no, I want you to bring him in. And he says several times in that story, he will eat at my table continually. It, it shows a closeness. It's like family. And when you give your heart and life over to Christ, when, when, you, when you surrender that to the Lord... You become adopted into the family of God. And we are all invited to be a part of God's family, to sit at his table. And that's exactly what verse 16 is describing to us, is God and his invitation to be a child of God. In verse 17, he sends a servant out to tell everyone, come for things are now ready. Who does that sound like? If you think about all the way through Scripture, who does that sound like that the Master has sent somebody out there to, to, to tell them that, that things are ready? Who knew that the kingdom of God was at hand? Who went out calling people into repentance and baptism? Who was it that w w was going out and telling people to, to repent, that God was, was to come and he was preparing a way? It was John the Baptist. Right? John the Baptist did this. And we are to be telling people today that the feast is ready. We are to do the same thing that John the Baptist was doing in his days. We need to tell people to accept the invitation of God. And to share that good news that they too can sit at the table of God. So the sermon talks to these three uh, people. And all three made excuses as to why they couldn't come. 
Remember, these were people that would have accepted the invitation. That's why he had gone to them. And why would they accept an invitation and then make excuses why they couldn't go? It's because, just like I said with Jill's wedding, they didn't want to go in the first place. They they, they said, yeah, I'll I'll be there. And then they made excuses because they didn't want to go when they were asked the first time. Then why do they accept the invitation in the first place? Maybe it seemed exciting. I know if you offer me free food, I get excited. I might say, yeah, I want to come. I'll be there. Free food? Sure. Maybe their friends were accepting the invitation, and they didn't want to be left out. Maybe they felt pressure from their family or from sitting in pews for a number of years to, to, to accept. We see people today that seemingly accept an invitation from God to be a child of God, to be saved, but for whatever reason, they didn't truly make that commitment. And these three men represent people that claim to have accepted that invitation, but when it comes time to fulfill that commitment, they show where their heart truly lies. Let's look at the first person. The first person had bought some land, and he said, i got to go see it. Well, who buys land that they haven't seen? Especially in Kentucky. I, you might say, hey, I have 50 acres to sell you. Oh, great. I'll, I'll, I'll buy that 50 acres. And then you go out there and find out that it's all off the side of a mountain. Right? You can't build on it. Nobody buys land that they haven't already seen. Well, this man in the story here is going to be a man that represents people who care more about their possessions than God. And don't get me wrong, because I know Kate and I have kind of had this conversation before when I when I started asking questions about, did we really need a TV that big? Did, did, should we have just bought a smaller TV and given that much? God, possessions are not a bad thing. They're a bad thing when they come between you and God, correct? Um, people will say, well, well, God gave me this. God blessed me with this. And he wants me to enjoy it. He wants me to enjoy that TV. He wants me to enjoy my laptop. He wants me to enjoy my phone or my car. He allowed me to have all these things because he loves me and he wants me to enjoy my life. Right? Maybe. Personally, I don't think he's all that concerned with how big my TV is. Or how fast my computer is, which has been driving me crazy lately. Because, I, anyway, uh, I've been having a lot of problems with my, my computer. Maybe that's God saying, hey, you don't need that anymore. You, why don't you pick up your Bible? But my internet's not working very well. Uh, or he's saying, I don't care how many apps you have on your phone or what your phone can do or how fast your car can go. What I do know is that he has a big problem when we choose those things over him. When they get in the way of us being in his house when they prevent us from being in his word, when they prevent or limit our time in prayer. And that's what this guy did. He accepted the invitation, or at least he said he did, but then he chose his land. He chose his possession over the feast. And sometimes we need to take some inventory of our own lives. We need to look in the mirror with honesty and ask ourselves, do I love God more than my possessions? And am I showing that? 
If you were on trial and you were being accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? The second guy, this guy wanted to test out some oxen that he had bought. Five yoke of oxen, I believe it was called, or teams. He bought ten oxen. And what were oxen used for back then? They were used for plowing. They were used for pulling carts or hauling wagons, threshing grain by, by, by trampling on it. They used them to power machines that would ground the grain up. They used, it to, they used these oxen to, to carry water into the fields to, to, to water the crops. So what were they used for? They were used for work. Right? This man represents people that put their careers or money before God. And to be clear, there's nothing wrong with work. Again, there's nothing wrong with possessions. God actually, he calls us to work. In the second page of your Bible, in Genesis chapter 2, it says, The Lord... God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So as soon as he made Adam, he put him to work. Right? He didn't say, hey, look at this garden I made. It's beautiful. Lay down and enjoy it. He said, no, you got to work it. And God wants us to work, but he does not want our careers to come before him. You know, sometimes we, we, we hear, I remember when uh, Brother Tim or Brother Charles would preach and I would listen to them, I'm like, okay, they're, they're talking to me there. That was for me. Well, this right here, this was for me. Because Wednesday night, I ended up having to cancel service uh, Wednesday night. And um, it was because we had open house. And I started feeling a lot of conviction about that. I, I felt like, you know, if I really pushed the issue with my boss, she probably would have let me go early. But I didn't want to upset my boss. I, I, I put work ahead of... God's house. I put work ahead of coming here and being with brothers and sisters and um, opening his word. But that feeling of conviction is a good thing. Feeling of conviction is a great thing because it shows that the Holy Spirit is working in you. If you don't feel conviction over putting God's second in your life, that's a big problem because it, it could mean other things. So God wants us to work but he doesn't want us putting our work before him. And that's what this man did. He said he accepted the master's invitation, but then when it came time to uh, put up or shut up, to go to the feast, he chose his work. He chose his career over the feast. The third man that we see here, he chose his wife over his commitment. This man represents people that claim to know God and then make idols of others. They make idols of other men and women. And it's good to be married. It's great to be God wants us to find a spouse. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds what is good. And I love Kate. And Kate knows that. But she also knows that she comes in second to God. Right? We cannot put our spouses ahead of God. And I know she feels the same way. No one should ever be elevated above God, no matter who they are in your life, no matter what role they, they, they have in your life. They should never be put before God. Uh, remember, Jesus tells us um, 
right after this parable, whoever comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And that last one is the one that gets most people in trouble, making idols of ourselves, right? What do I want? What's going to make me happy? What would I rather do than spend time with God? And when I make those choices, I'm saying that my happiness means more to me than God does. That's a big problem. That's making an idol of yourself. So this man decided he would rather be with his wife than attend the master's feast. All three of these men made excuses for why they couldn't make it. Spurgeon said about excuses, he said, excuses are curses. And when you have no excuses left, there will be hope for you. I, I, I like that. Because it shows that somebody that maybe is hitting rock bottom. They, they finally run out of excuses. They finally realize there's nowhere else to turn except to God. All excuses do is they ease the mind of the person making the excuse. But they're lies to the people that hear them. And they never fool God. So who benefits from them? Nobody. Do you know the real reason they didn't want to come to the feast? It's because they weren't hungry. They didn't want what the master was offering. Think about that. If Christianity was, was so true and so good, why don't more embrace it? Why don't more accept the invitation? It's because people are satisfied with where they are. People are satisfied with the life that they have. It's the reason Jesus said it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. People are just satisfied. So the master tells his servant to go find some people that want to be here. So who does he go out and find? He goes out and finds the blind because they can't inspect land. He goes out and finds the poor because they can't afford oxen. He goes out and finds the crippled and the lame because they're usually, they usually aren't given into marriage. It's easy to realize that God is worth more than everything you have when you have nothing. And then he goes on to say, at the very end here, he says, For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper. That's a warning. He says, For I say to you. I think right there in this parable, Jesus stops telling the parable and starts telling the Pharisees. He's saying, I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper. He's telling them that if you make a commitment, you claim to make a commitment to me, and it was, wasn't true, you won't be sitting at my table. You will not be entering the kingdom of heaven. And that's a serious thing. We, we, we need to, to take stock of our lives and find out where we stand with him. So if you haven't accepted God's invitation, or maybe you thought you had, but when you're being honest with yourself, it wasn't a true acceptance, 
The master says that his house is not yet full. If you humble yourself and stop making excuses, he has set a seat for you at his table. Let's pray. Lord, again, we're so grateful to be able to come into your house to, to, to worship you and hear your word. Lord, uh, we, I just pray that, um, pray that we would know our hearts, that, that, that you would know our hearts, Lord. That, that we would be able to, to look inside and, and have an honest moment with ourselves and, and realize that you are the only way. Lord, that everything we have in our lives is because you gave it to us and that we should be willing to give it all for you. Lord, we love you, and you should mean more to us than anybody or anything in this world. Lord, I pray that you'll put somebody before us this week that we can share this with, that we can be your servant and go out and tell the world to come in, that the, prepared, that the food is prepared, that your table is ready for them, that you have a seat prepared just for them because of your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray.